On this podcast, we go one step beyond publications and guidelines to speak directly with leading experts in interventional pulmonology. This podcast will address not only fundamental topics in exciting publications, but also unconventional topics for which the evidence base isn't that robust. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily endorsed by the AABIP. This is your host, Odit Chadda, an assistant professor at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. And with that, let's dive into the next episode. Hello, everyone. Our topic for discussion today is photodynamic therapy. And our guest today is Dr. George Cheng. Dr. Cheng is an associate professor of medicine and the director of interventional pulmonology at UCSD in San Diego, California. He is a very active and prominent member of the AABIP. Uh, when I was deciding on which expert to invite for this podcast, I asked a senior rep at Vinicle Biologics as to who would be one of the most knowledgeable folks around with regards to PDT. And Dr. Cheng's name was the first name given to me. I'm excitedly looking forward to his views on this topic. Thank you, Dr. Cheng, for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Shalya, for the kind invite. Uh, before I begin, I do need to declare that I work as a consultant for Pinnacle Biologics, uh, the company that provides Vodafone. Um, and, uh, and let's get into it. Perfect. So this is the first podcast we have that is devoted to a particular technology. Now, PDT is a light-activated localized chemotherapy of sorts using non-thermal laser uh, which is applied 48 to 72 hours after injecting a photosensitizing agent, uh, photofrin, as uh, Dr. Cheng just mentioned. Uh, for a technology that has been studied for four decades now and has its own journal, this technique is not that popular for restoring airway patency and central airway obstruction. This, of course, is very intriguing. So, Dr. Cheng, what do you think is the main reason that PDT has not gained widespread usage in the U.S.? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, I think uh, there's uh, uh, several limitations to the wide adoption of PDT in the U.S. Um, one of the first thing uh, to consider is uh, a potential uh, limited training exposure during fellowship. Um, not all fellowship trainees are exposed to photodynamic therapy in a great amount. Um, and that is largely due to a perceived or rather real danger for prolonged light sensitivity after uh, receiving a photo frame uh, for our patient population. Um, and, uh, and I think another limitation to uh, potential fellowship training uh, exposure to um, photodynamic therapy is the consideration of the cost of photodynamic therapy. While it is covered by Medicare, uh, the photofrin, uh, the photosynthesizer, each vial is, is rather expensive. Um, photofrin comes in about 75 milligram vials, and we need to provide about two milligram per kilogram dose for our patients in terms of infusion. Mm -hmm. So if you calculate that for a 70 kilogram patient, then you're looking at at least two vials of photofrin. Now, each vial of photofrin is runs up around $22,000. So you're looking mm -hmm. at somewhere around $44,000 for the treatment, just in terms of the uh, medication alone. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and, and another consideration is the need for multiple bronchoscopy sessions. Uh, so um, there's one bronchoscopy session that's required after infusion, which we'll get into later about uh, with uh, activation. Mm -hmm. And then you have to wait and then you have to do another bronchoscopy session to, um, to remove uh, any uh, sloughed off, sloughed off uh, dead tissue. 
Um, and one final one final consideration is that, um, you know when you are uh, when you are delivering this this uh, treatment, you have to get approval and training processes for the for these medication not only in one's uh, institution's pharmacy, um, but also uh, in terms of the infusion center that you had to work with uh, to deliver this medication uh, the, the photo frame into the patient. Um, and you also have to uh, have an integrated uh, process to provide patient education. Mm-hmm. Um, so to set up uh, a photodynamic therapy capability in one's institution requires three different um, a different part of the hospital to work together. And I think that that uh, includes the pharmacy, the infusion center, and the bronchoscopy suite. Um, so that in itself is very challenging whenever you have a, a treatment uh, process that is requiring multiple different departments involvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, um, to uh, to think about, uh, you know, what are what are your other options uh, for treatment? Um, so, you know, we we have other more immediate effect tools, mm-hmm. uh, such as APC laser, electrocautery, or radio, uh, or a cryo or radio frequency uh, ablation. Um, and 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 then um, uh, some will argue, well, that that's not a fair com- uh, comparison because you have in, uh, immediate effect tools versus a PDT is a more delayed effect. Well, then mm-hmm. you also have external beam radiation therapy uh, that uh, that are readily de- um, uh, deliverable for our patient. Yeah. Um, so so as such, the photodynamic therapy became more of an afterthought in terms of treatment uh, modalities that's available to our patient, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is quite unfortunate. I think there is a distinct place for photodynamic, photodynamic therapy for, uh, for our treatment modalities. Absolutely. So just to summarize what you're saying, so there's training, there's expense, it's cumbersome, and we have alternatives. So PDT has not gained widespread usage, but clearly you and I are still using it in some scenarios. So let's uh, try to dive into some of the evidence uh, for PDT. So PDT in general, if you look at all the studies, improves dyspnea and airway patency in approximately 80% of the patients with malignant CAO, malignant central airway obstruction. So in what scenarios of airway obstruction are you primarily using uh, PDT? Yeah, so um, uh, I think this is a great opportunity for us to review what PDT is approved for. Mm-hmm. Um, now, PDT can be used prim- as a primary treatment modality or an adjunctive treatment modality. Uh, in the case of the malignant CAO, um, you, know, you have to decide clinically if you have a patient who can actually undergo PDT treatment course uh, and that uh, they will be compliant to the period after treatment, specifically the period about 30 days after treatment when the patient is photosensitive. Uh, keep in mind that uh, uh, PDT uh, has been FDA approved for treatment of early stage lung cancer, specifically mm-hmm. the microinvasive in the bronchial non-small cell lung cancer patients. Uh, in home, uh, uh, surgery or radiotherapy uh, is not indicated. Um, also, it is approved for palliation of central airway obstruction due to malignancy, um, you know, reduction, uh, specifically for reduction of obstruction and palliation of symptoms in patients with completely or partially obstructing the bronchial disease. Um, now, uh, there is a specific patient selections uh, when you're providing these type of treatment for, uh, for these in the bronchial obstructive uh, disease, um, because there are concerns um, with uh, uh, critical airway obstruction if you were to treat it uh, without debulking, uh, if you were to just use uh, PBT alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, uh, in GI field, um, specifically soft CA, that are completely or partially obstructing that cannot mm-hmm. be satisfactorily treated with other modalities such as uh, NDAC laser 
yeah. uh, or ablation of high-grade high, uh, uh, dysplasia in various esophagus in patients who uh, do not want to undergo esophagectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, in my opinion, um, the... Uh, the best way for us to use PDT as a primary modality is really for those early stages microinvasive mm-hmm. uh, endobronchial disease. Um, as uh, as I believe that the PDT offers a great coverage to treatment and treatment yeah. uh, to reach the areas that may appear normal on white light bronchoscopy. Yeah. Um, so that you can actually uh, treat and create that negative margin that we want. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. And I think another scenario in which I like it for palliation is uh, in those extensively invading tumors uh, where, you know, for the extensive whole length of the left main bronchus and ex- extending into the upper and lower lobe. Uh, sometimes I feel in those scenarios, PDT does work well where uh, other modalities would be too cumbersome and um, difficult to use. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think in terms of uh, uh, tumors that tend to bleed a lot, I feel like PDT offers a great, uh, a great adjunctive modality because um, uh, it creates a fair amount of dead tissue and really uh, does not um, create a lot of bleeding uh, during its treatment uh, if we're careful in terms of placing our fibers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you alluded to this a little bit. Uh, so based on the available evidence and how PDT works, can you explain to us why PDT is probably the most effective modality for CIS? Yeah, of course. Well, um, uh, but first we have to uh, think about, um, let's review how the mechanism, how uh, PDT works. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, as you understand, a photofriend, a photosynthesizer is usually injected 48 hours prior to the light activation. Uh, as mentioned prior, uh, this uh, concentration is up to two milligrams per kilogram for our patient. Uh, and this is uh, uptake preferentially in tumor slash rapidly dividing cells, but overall, all the cells uptake some of these uh, of this first generation uh, photosynthesizer. Mm-hmm. Um, light activation occurs usually with a laser diffuser uh, that we place um, uh, after forty eight hours after the injection of the photoframe, and the laser is usually fired at uh, six hundred and thirty nanometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this activates fulforin and creates a variety of uh, different mechanisms through which we'll visit. Uh, and that will, um, and then what we'll do uh, is we wait for 40 hours after activation to debride any dead tissue. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I speak to my patients, I usually describe this as imagine I'm giving you the worst sunburn of your life inside your airway. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's very much that that way some that's something that our patients can relate to almost every one of us had experience of really bad sunburn before oh talk about yourself <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so you know it's a uh, it's a way it's a way for uh for for me to um, uh, help my patient to relate what type of treatment that this is really providing so mm-hmm. in terms of mechanism um, well, there's a few different mechanisms. Uh, uh, there's a direct mechanism where the direct cellular damage uh, can occur uh, with uh, photofrenic activation resulting in apoptosis. But the more importantly, photofrenic activation creates radical oxygen species that leads to, uh, um, leads to cell death. There's also a component where inflammation um, that occurred after um, treatment causes thrombosis of the vessels and causes ischemia to the area, and that also causes additional cell death. Um, and uh, finally, there's an inflammatory immune response that's often elicited uh, during this treatment plan. Now, mm-hmm. with this in mind, because um, uh, photofrin, uh, because 
the light activation at 630 degrees can penetrate up to about five millimeters in radius in terms of treatment. Um, and it actually covers a good, good area of uh, a treated disease. Um, so that's why I think it's really ideal modality for an, uh, CIS mm-hmm. um, because you can actually treat, again, the areas that may even look normal under white light uh, bronchoscopy, but you still cover that area with your treatment. Mm-hmm. So, so just to summarize again, again, there's this abscopal effect in addition to the fact that uh, PDT covers uh, non-visible tumor uh, that, you know, but I've seen that you can't see it on NBI either. And uh, later on, when you see the tumor slough, it's pretty extensive. So probably a lot of non-visible tumor uh, to the naked eye or white light bronchoscopy is being treated with PDT. Agreed. Um, so um, if uh, so, do you when you rebronch a patient for um, cleanup, if you don't see an adequate effect at the forty-eight hour mark, do you usually re-expose the patient to light, or do you wait longer? Well, um, that is patient dependent, uh, but you can reactivate uh, at the bronchoscopy um, at the bronchoscopy when initially intended for debridement, and the reactivation you can reactivate in the same amount or you can reactivate in less amount. Uh, usually, mm-hmm. I modulate my amount of reactivation by modulating the time instead of the power that we use. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, and that is uh, again truly. Uh, uh, patient specific uh and and you know in a lot of times what i do what i like to do is um uh, the way that i approach this is if i have bulky tumors i tend to debulk uh first mm-hmm. um and then what i do is i uh, i wait uh about one to two weeks for a patient to um recover from that initial bronchoscopy this is my practice uh, there's no evidence in terms of supporting mm-hmm. this is the right way to do it this is just how i I, um, uh, I've seen the most effect. And just to clarify, you're talking about yeah. palliating central airway obstruction That's and not right. for That's CIS correct. right now. That's correct. That's correct. So for large bulky tumors, I debulk with a variety of different modalities of your choice. Um, uh, could be mechanical, could be uh, uh, with uh, electric cautery, could be with a uh, radio frequency, and then I bring the patient back in about uh, one to two weeks. Uh, and then I, act, I inf- perform photodynamic therapy at that time um, and uh, the, usually with an intent to uh, remove the residual disease after the large, uh, after the debulking. And then at the time when I actually remove the, uh, remove the sloth off the, that tissue, uh, I hit it with a cryotherapy to the uh, affected area mm-hmm. um, instead of using another uh, round of photodynamic therapy. Um, and the reason I do that is um, using multimodality approaches. Um, and, uh, and when I see uh, the area of treated disease that are dying or died off, and there are certain areas of urethema that are still left remaining, um, when I hit that with cryotherapy, I feel like I'm providing a different modality of treatment. Um, so, uh, so far, from my personal experience, I have treated uh, this way about four different patients with a variety of different, uh, uh, different um, uh, endobronchial obstruction. Um, uh, some of them are quite large. Um, and they actually, I was able to get sustained effect. Um, when I say sustained mm-hmm. effect, meaning a, a tumor response uh, that was sustained up to about the longest, about two years. Okay. 
Um, so just to clarify a concept that you alluded to, so if you do re-expose a patient to light, you use a lower dose by shortening the time interval. And I think what George means by that is we'll go a little basic physics recap where joules is watts times seconds, and the usual dose in PDT is 200 joules per centimeter. And this implies that with the standard 400 milliwatt per centimeter power used, the illumination time is eight minutes and 20 seconds. So when you lower the dose, you can either lower the power or you can lower the time. And uh, Dr. Cheng is saying that he uh, prefers lowering the time. Um, and that's what I've seen most people do um, uh, as well in uh, personal conversations. Yeah, and, and, I think, and I think it's easier. Um, you know, you're, you're there in, uh, in the room with your bronchoscopy uh, staff. Uh, and I think it's just easier to tell our staff to say, hey, we're going to do, you know, 200 seconds here and, you know, 100 seconds here. Um, mm -hmm. So it just makes it easier sense, more intuitive sense for them. Yep, absolutely. So uh, there are a couple of fibers that come uh, with clinical biologics, um, uh, PDT, and they're flexible and rigid diffusers. The rigid diffuser isn't really a rigid diffuser. It's more like a semi-rigid diffuser used through a flexible scope. Uh, but how do you decide on the length and uh, type of diffuser that you're going to use to expose the tumor to light? Oh, that's, um, uh, that's great. So there are there are indeed uh, several different types of diffusers. So you have the rigid, as you mentioned, and the flexible. Now the rigid diffuser, I believe, comes in one, 1 1.5, 2, 2.5, and 5 centimeter variety. Mm -hmm. The flexible diffuser comes in 1, uh, 2.5, and 5 centimeters. Mm -hmm. um, now it, it really depends on uh, the location, the treatment location. Uh, and what you intend to do um, when you are, uh, uh, where do you want to specifically place the diffuser? Um, so, for instance, if you are treating a, um, a upper lobe, um, posterior segment or apical segment tumor, um, and you need to make that curve, um, uh, you, well, you will better uh, suit it for a flexible diffuser. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you were to say there's a, a central tumor or a, in the right main stem bronchus and you need to um, uh, pierce through the tumor and treat it intra, uh, interstitially, mm -hmm. uh, then the rigid fiber will be your go-to because it's, it allows you to actually penetrate through the center of that tumor. And remember, mm -hmm. the, the uh, radius of treatment for a photodynamic therapy where the light penetration is about five millimeters. So in the diameter is about 10 millimeter treatment effect. Mm -hmm. um, I almost always use a 2.5 centimeter fiber um, in terms of the central uh, airways. Uh, I, I never go up to five centimeters because I mm -hmm. think it just covers too much ground. Yeah, it's probably um, the GIS. Yeah, and and I think one uh, one centimeter sometimes I use for you know the low bar disease, um, uh, small tumors that are in the apical uh, or the posterior subsegment uh, that needs uh, needs a little curve there. So so yeah, so uh, one to two one centimeter and two point five flexible and mm -hmm. uh, and are, is sort of my go to. Perfect, perfect. So before we uh, dive into the complications that can happen, I must clarify that PDT is generally contraindicated in lesions associated with tracheoesophageal fistulas, obviously those which have just pure extrinsic compression, and those adjacent to a major blood vessel. And the, the teaching that I've been given for this is that if the intraluminal component of the tumor is within one centimeter of a major blood vessel, PDT is usually not a good option. 
Uh, is this what you practice too? Yes, I agree. Perfect. So what are some of the complications that we can expect with PDT other than photosensitivity? Yeah, so patients can, um, uh, during the treatment, patient actually uh, can experience chest pain um, and substernal chest pain. Um, and this is usually managed with, uh, with a variety of uh, symptom management of, uh, say, insects. Um, so why, why does that happen? Every patient I've done PDT on complains of some chest pain, and I struggle to explain it. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think it's partially probably because of the, um, uh, the inflammation. Uh, that you're uh, that you're eliciting, at least that's the way that I kind of explain to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how how much of the depth of the penetration of the inflammation that's occurring. Um, you know, we don't. Luckily, we don't see um, a tremendous of a, a, a cell death that's uh, that's a shows uh, that could lead to say um, bronchial wall dehiscence or yeah. complete necrosis of the bronchial wall. Although that has been reported before. Okay. Um, but, um, um, but, you know, majority of our patients, we see this kind of inflamed response and feeling pain. Um, but it would be very interesting to actually, you know, a study to look at is to look at the pain that the patient uh, reports. Uh, how is that associated with when we go in to uh, do the debridement bronchoscopy? Uh, how much destruction of tissue are we seeing? How much mm-hmm. tissue death are we seeing? Yeah. Um, that I've never, uh, I've never did a correlation. But it's very interesting. Um, uh, it's something that we do uh, see from uh, for, uh, for a good amount of our patients who undergo PDT. Now, another thing that can that we have to keep in mind is, um, besides uh, the immediate effect um, after treatment for PDT, specifically in those areas I mentioned earlier, you know, in the sublobar uh, airways. Um, you could potentially, you could actually uh, observe a uh, uh, bronchostenosis that can occur um, mm-hmm. after uh, the treatment. So as the tissue heals, uh, you could have a scar and that scar may lead to stenosis of the airway. Uh, and that's also one thing that um, we, uh, we want to keep a close eye on so in the larger airway, say the left main and the right main. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I have not seen uh, significant uh, bronchostenosis occurring at that level. I have seen at the level of, say, superior subsegment going off and that whole, sub, whole segment. Um, I, I have a colleague who had a tracheal stenosis after oh, okay. using PDD for CIS. Oh, but wow. it, uh, the patient was re-exposed twice. Uh, I see. I wonder, I wonder, um, you know, whether we, sh- this is something that we have to look at, you know, to see, say, is there, is reactivation associated with um, the propensity to develop stenosis in mm-hmm. the larger airways? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if there's any literature out there that states that. Four decades of research and we still lack evidence. This is IP. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what about, uh, what about respiratory distress and what patients should I expect, um, you know, I'll anticipate this complication. Yeah. So um, in patients who have poor uh, reserve, respiratory reserve, um, and in patients who you expect a large, larger than normal response or larger, large response uh, that can uh, lead to occlusion of mm-hmm. uh, the airway. So for instance, a large bulky tumor uh, at the carina uh, falling into the right main stem. Uh, and you were to treat that tumor without debulking per se, mm-hmm. uh, uh, then a fair amount of tissue and cell death can occur. And mm-hmm. then it plucks off both the right main and portion of the dead tissue can fall into the left main. 
And then all of a sudden you have a patient with significant shortness of breath and critical airway obstruction. I see. Yeah. Um, so which is which is also why um, when I treat when I use PDT, I tend to use it in combination uh, with uh, uh, with initial debulking of the tumor. Um, uh, with other modalities before I fire with uh, uh, photodynamic therapy. So, so this is a consequence of tumor sloughing, airway edema, but it, it's sometimes difficult to predict, right? I mean, I've seen people plugging their airways when you're just treating CIS sometimes. That's correct. That is correct. <laughs> and sometimes I speak to what we talked about earlier, um, the, uh, the amount of tissue that's involved often is uh, underestimated on white light bronchoscopy. Mm-hmm. And have you noticed hemoptysis being a major issue? Um, no, not, not, luckily not so far. Um, but there are definitely areas that we need to be uh, very cautious about, specifically, say, the left upper lobe takeoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, I think uh, having a good understanding of the location of the tumor and the, how you're going to approach it, um, that mm-hmm. those are all uh, important aspects. But then again, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking at, if you're looking at um, uh, other alternative modalities, say radio uh, therapy, um, there's also, you know, there's also hemoptysis that's associated with that. Perfect, perfect. You know. And of course, the big one, photosensitivity, which occurs in 5 to 20% of the patients in, in reported literature, but this is an avoidable complication with good education, uh, easily avoided in uh, New York, where I am, more difficult in San Diego, where George is. So anyway, George, this has been fantastic. Uh, your your uh, views on, the, uh, on this technology have been truly enlightening. Uh, any closing comments for our listeners? Yeah. Um, so thank you. First of all, thank you for this opportunity to uh, speak about this technology. But uh, I'm, uh, I really uh, um, want to stress, I think, multi-modality approach to our treatment uh, is key. Not one technology wins over the other. Um, and when we combine those technologies, uh, um, we actually will be able to offer our patient the full spectrum treatment options uh, and potentially gain a sustained effect. Um, and it is worthwhile to mention that um, uh, uh, research is active uh, in this area, uh, and there are uh, newer generations, second and third generations of uh, photosynthesizers that are currently being developed, and some of which are already on market outside of the United States, mm-hmm. uh, that are uh, approved for specifically using lung cancer. Um, uh, for instance, laser in, uh, that's approved in uh, Japan uh, mm-hmm. for early centrally located lung cancer. Uh, these uh, photosynthesizers uh, have a much shorter um, uh, photosensitivity uh, uh, half-life, so to speak. It's uptaken much quicker and goes away uh, much, uh, uh, much quicker. Uh, so uh, so it, it allows us to uh, a little bit more flexibility and minimize that um, that big downside of photosensitivity uh, over four weeks time after uh, infusion. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, George. This has been fantastic. Um, and uh, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Right, take care, guys. With that, we conclude an exciting episode here on the AABIP podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed hosting it. Do also check out our website, theippodcast.com, and please do provide us with feedback and suggestions on what topic and which expert you want to hear next. Until next time, take care.